Section eleven of the Chouans by Honore de Balzac. Translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter two F. In Mademoiselle de Vernoy's state of mind, everything connected with external life partook of the nature of a phantom show. The coach passed through villages and over hills and valleys which left no traces in her memory. She reached Mayenne, the escort of soldiers was changed, Merle came to speak to her, and she answered him, she crossed the town, and they went on again. But faces and houses, streets and landscapes and men passed by her like the shadowy forms of a dream. Night came on. Marie travelled along the road to Fougere by the soft light of the brilliant stars in the sky, and it never struck her that there was any change in the heaven above her. She neither knew where Mayenne was, nor Fougere, nor her own destination. That in a few hours she might have to part with the man whom she had chosen, and by whom, as she thought, she herself had been chosen too, was an utter impossibility to her love is the one passion which knows neither past nor future if she betrayed her thoughts in words at times the sentences that fell from her were almost meaningless but in her lover's heart they echoed like promises of joy there were two who looked on at this new-born passion and its progress under their eyes was alarmingly rapid francine knew marie as thoroughly as the stranger lady knew the young man and past experience led them to expect in silence some terrific catastrophe as a matter of fact it was not long before they saw the close of this drama which mademoiselle de verneuil had perhaps in words of unconscious ill omen entitled a tragedy when the four travellers had come about a league out of mayenne they heard a horseman coming towards them at a furious pace as soon as he caught them up he bent down and looked in the coach for mademoiselle de verneuil who recognized corentin this ill-omened individual took it upon himself to make a significant gesture with a familiarity which for her had something scathing in it and then departed having made her cold and wretched by this vulgar signal this occurrence seemed to affect the emigrant disagreeably which fact was by no means lost on his supposed mother but marie touched him lightly and her look seemed to seek a refuge in his heart as if there lay the one shelter that she had on earth the young man's brow grew clear as he felt a thrill of emotion that his mistress should thus have allowed him to see inadvertently as it were the extent of her attachment to him all her coquetry had vanished before an inexplicable dread and love had shown himself for a moment unveiled neither of them spoke as if the sweet moment so might last a little longer unluckily madame de goua in their midst saw everything 
like a miser giving a banquet she seemed to count their morsels and to measure out their life altogether absorbed in their happiness and without a thought of the way they had come the two lovers arrived at the part of the road which lies along the bottom of the valley of ernay forming the first of the three valleys along which the events took place with which this story opened francine saw and pointed out strange forms which seemed to move like shadows through the trees and the achonks that bordered the fields as the coach came towards these shadows there was a general discharge of muskets and the whistling of balls over their heads told the travellers that all these phantoms were substantial enough the escort had fallen into an ambush at this sharp fusillade captain merrill keenly regretted his share in mademoiselle de vernoy's miscalculation she had thought that the quick night journey would be attended with so little risk that she had only allowed him to bring sixty men acting under gerard's orders the captain immediately divided the little troop into two columns to hold the road on either side and both officers advanced at a running pace through the fields of broom and firs seeking to engage their adversaries before even learning their numbers the blues began to beat up the thick undergrowth right and left with rash intrepidity and kept up an answering fire upon the bushes of broom from which the chouan volley had come mademoiselle de vernoy's first impulse had led her to spring out of the coach and to run back so as to put some distance between her and the scene of the fray but she grew ashamed of her fright and under the influence or the desire to grow great in the eyes of her beloved she stood quite still and tried to make a cool survey of the fight the emigrant followed her took her hand and held it to his heart i was frightened she said smiling but now just at that moment her terrified maid called to her take care marie but as francine attempted to spring from the coach she felt the grasp of a strong hand arrest her the heavy weight of that huge hand drew a sharp cry from her she turned and made not another sound when she recognized marche a terre's face so i must owe to your fears the disclosure of the sweetest of all secrets for the heart the stranger said to mademoiselle de vernoy thanks to francine i have found out that you are called by the gracious name of marie marie the name that has been on my lips in every sorrow i have known marie the name that henceforth i shall utter in joy i shall never more pronounce it without committing sacrilege without confusing my religion with my love but will it be a sin after all to love and pray at the same time they pressed each other's hands fervently as he spoke and looked at each other in silence the strength of their feelings had taken from them all power of expressing them there is no harm meant for you people marcheter said roughly to francine 
there was a note of menace and reproach in the hoarse guttural sounds of his voice he laid a stress upon every word in a way that paralyzed the innocent peasant girl for the first time she was confronted with cruelty in marcheterre's expression moonlight seemed the only suitable illumination for such a face the fierce breton with his cap in one hand and his heavy carbine in the other and with his squat gnome-like form in the cold white rays of light which give everything an unfamiliar look seemed to belong rather to fairyland than to this world there was a shadowy swiftness about the coming of this phantom and his reproachful exclamation he turned immediately to madame du Gois and exchanged some earnest words with her francine had forgotten her bob breton and could make nothing of their talk the lady seemed to be giving a complication of orders to marcheterre and the short conference was terminated by an imperious gesticulation on her part as she pointed out the two lovers to the chouan before he obeyed her marcheterre gave francine one last look he seemed to be sorry for her and would have spoken but the breton girl felt that her lover was obliged to keep silent there were furrows in the rough sunburned skin on his forehead the man's brows were drawn together in a heavy frown would he disobey this renewed order to take mademoiselle de vernoy's life madame de gouin no doubt thought him the more hideous for this grimace but to francine there was an almost tender gleam in his eyes the look told her that it was in her woman's power to direct that fierce will and she hoped yet to establish her sway after god's in this wild heart marie's tender conversation was interrupted by madame du gois who caught hold of her with a cry as if danger was at hand she had recognized one of the royalist committee from alencon and her sole object was to gain for him an opportunity of speaking to the emigrant mistrust the girl whom you met at the sign of the three moors so said the chevalier de valois in the young man's ear and then both he and the breton pony which he rode disappeared in the bushes of broom whence he had issued the sharp rolling fire of the skirmish became at this moment astonishingly hot but the combatants could not come to close quarters is not this attack a faint adjutant so that they may kidnap our travellers and hold them for ransom suggested devil fetch me you are on the right track was gerard's answer as he flung himself on the road the chouan fire grew slacker they had gained their object in the skirmish when the chevalier's communication was made to the chief merlis saw them drawing off through the hedges a few at a time and did not consider it expedient to engage in a useless and dangerous struggle 
the captain had a chance to hand mademoiselle de vernoy back into the carriage for there stood the noble like one thunderstruck the parisian in her surprise got in without availing herself of the republican's courtesy she turned to look at her lover saw him standing there motionless and was bewildered by the sudden change just wrought in him by the chevalier's words slowly the young emigrant returned his manner disclosed a feeling of intense disgust was i not right madame du gois said in his ear as she went back with him to the coach we are certainly in the hands of a creature who has struck a bargain for your life but since she is fool enough to be smitten with you instead of attending to her business do not behave yourself like a child but pretend that you love her until we reach the vivetiere and once there is he really in love with her already she added to herself for the young man did not move and stood like one lost in dreams the coach rolled on almost noiselessly over the sandy road at the first glance round about her everything seemed changed for mademoiselle de verneuil the shadow of death had stolen across love already the differences were the merest shades perhaps but such shades as these are as strongly marked as the most glaring hues for a woman who loves francine had learned from marcheter's expression that mademoiselle de verneuil's fate over which she had bidden him to watch was in other hands than his whenever she met her mistress's eyes she turned pale and could scarcely keep back the tears the rancor prompting a feminine revenge was but ill-concealed by the feigned smiles of the stranger lady the sudden change in her manner the elaborate kindness for mademoiselle de verneuil infused into her voice and expression was sufficient to alarm any quick-sighted woman mademoiselle de verneuil shuddered instinctively and asked herself why did i shudder is she not his mother but she trembled in every limb as she suddenly asked herself but is she really his mother then she saw the precipice before her and a final glance at the man's face made it plain to her this woman loves him she thought but why should she overwhelm me with attentions after having shown so much coolness to me is it possible that she fears me or am i lost as for the emigre he was red and pale by turns he retained his apparently calm manner by lowering his eyes to conceal the strange emotions that warred within him his lips were pressed together so tightly that their gracious curving outlines were disturbed a yellowish tint due to the violent conflict in his mind overspread his face mademoiselle de verneuil could not even discover if there was a lingering trace of love in all this passion 
woods lined the road on either side at this spot and it became so dark that the mute actors in the drama could no longer question each other with their eyes the sough of the wind rustling through the woods and the even paces of their escort gave a tinge of awe to the time and place a solemnity that quickens the beating of the heart mademoiselle de vernoy could not long seek in vain for the cause of the estrangement the recollection of corentin flashed through her mind and with that the idea of her real destiny rose up suddenly before her for the first time since the morning she fell to thinking seriously over her position hitherto she had given herself up to the joy of being loved without a thought of the future or of the past she grew unable to bear her agony of soul any longer alone and with the meek patience of love sat waiting beseeching one glance of the young man there was such a touching eloquence about her mute passionate entreaty her shudder and her white face that he wavered a moment the catastrophe was but the more complete are you feeling ill mademoiselle he inquired there was no trace of tenderness in his voice his look and gesture the very question itself all served to convince the poor girl that all that had happened during the day had been part of a soul mirage which was now dispersing as half-formed clouds are borne away by the wind am i feeling ill she replied with a constrained laugh i was just going to put the same question to you i thought you both understood each other said madame du gois with assumed good nature but neither mademoiselle de vernoy nor the young noble made her any answer the girl thus grievously offended for the second time was vexed to find that her all-powerful beauty had lost its force she knew that she could discover the reason of this state of things whenever she chose but she was not anxious to look into it and for the first time perhaps a woman shrank back from learning a secret there are in our lives far too many situations when either by dint of overmuch thinking or through some heavy calamity our ideas become disconnected have no foundation in fact and no basis to start from the links that bind the present to the future and to the past are severed this was mademoiselle de vernoy's condition she bowed her head lay back in the carriage and stayed in this position like an uprooted shrub she took no notice of any one she saw nothing around her but suffered in silence wrapping herself about in her sorrow a deliberate dweller in the solitary world whither unhappiness betakes itself for shelter some ravens flew croaking over them but although in her as in all strong natures there was a superstitious spot she gave no heed to them 
the travellers went on their way in silence for some time sundered already said mademoiselle de vernoy to herself and yet nothing about me could have told him could it have been corentin but it is not to corentin's interest who can have risen up to accuse me i have scarcely been beloved and here already i am aghast at being forsaken i have sown love and i reap contempt so it is decreed by fate that i shall never do more than see the happiness that i must always lose there was a trouble within her heart that was new in her experience for she really loved now and for the first time but she was not so overcome by her pain that she could not oppose to it the pride natural to a young and beautiful woman her love was still her own secret the secret that torture often fails to draw had not escaped her she raised her head ashamed that her mute suffering should indicate the extent of the passion within her showed a smiling face or rather a smiling mask gave a gay little shake of the head controlling her voice so as to show no sign of the change in it where are we now she asked of captain merle who always kept at a little distance from the coach three leagues and a half from fougere mademoiselle then we shall very soon be there now said she to induce him to begin to talk her mind being fully made up to favor the young captain with some mark of her consideration those leagues replied the delighted merle are no great matter except that hereabouts they never let anything come to an end as soon as you reach the upland at the top of this hill that we are climbing you will see another valley just like the one we are leaving behind and then on the horizon you can see the top of la pelerine god send that the shuins will be so obliging as not to have their revenge up there but as you can suppose we don't get on very fast going up and down hill in this way from la pelerine again you will see the emigrant trembled slightly at that word for the second time but so slightly that mademoiselle de vernoy alone observed it what may this la pelerine be the girl inquired vivaciously interrupting the captain who was quite taken up by his breton topography it is the summit of a hill merla answered it gives its name to the valley here in men which we are just going to enter the hill is the dividing line between that province and the valley of the couenon fougeres lies at the very end of the valley and that is the first town you come to in brittany we had a fight there against the gars and his bandits at the end of vendemiaire we were bringing over some conscripts and they had a mind to kill us on the border so as to stop in their own country but hulot is a tough customer and he gave them then you must have seen the gars she asked what sort of man is he 
and all the time her keen malicious eyes were never withdrawn from the pretended vicomte de beauvin's face oh mon dieu mademoiselle replied merla interrupted again as usual he is so very much like the citizen du gois that if it were not for the uniform of the ecole polytechnique that he is wearing i would bet it was the same man mademoiselle le vernoy stared hard at the cool and impassive young man who was looking contemptuously back at her but she could see nothing about him that revealed any feeling of fear by a bitter smile she let him know that she had just discovered the secret he had so dishonorably kept then her nostrils dilated with joy she bent her head to one side so that she could scrutinize the young noble and at the same time keep merle in view and said to the republican in a mocking voice this chief is giving the first consul a good deal of anxiety captain there is plenty of daring in him they say but he will engage in adventures of certain kinds like a hare-brained boy especially if there is a woman in the case we are just reckoning upon that to square our accounts with him said the captain if we can get hold of him for a couple of hours we will put a little lead in those brains of his if he were to come across us the fellow from coblentz would do as much for us he would turn us off into the dark so it is tit for tat oh you have nothing to fear said the emigrant your soldiers will never get as far as la pelerine they are too tired so if you agree to it they could take a rest only a step or two from here my mother will alight at the vivetiere and there is the road leading to it a few gunshots away these two ladies would be glad to rest there too they must be tired after coming without a break in the journey from alencon hither he turned to his mistress with constrained politeness as he went on and since mademoiselle has been so generous as to make our journey safe as well as pleasant perhaps she will condescend to accept an invitation to sup with my mother times in fact are not so distracted but that a hogshead of cider can be found at the vivetiere to tap for your men the gar will not have made off with everything or so my mother thinks at any rate your mother interrupted mademoiselle de vernoy satirically without making any response to the strange invitation which was held out to her does my age seem no longer credible to you now that the evening has come mademoiselle asked madame de gois i was unfortunately married while very young my son was born when i was fifteen are you not mistaken madame should you not have said thirty madame de gois turned pale as she swallowed this piece of sarcasm she longed for the power to avenge herself and yet must perforce smile at all costs to herself even by the endurance of the most stinging epigrams she wished to discover the girl's motives of action 
so she pretended not to have understood the shewins have never had a leader so cruel as this one if we are to believe the rumours that are flying about concerning him she said speaking at the same time to francine and francine's mistress oh i do not believe he is cruel mademoiselle de vernoy answered but he can lie and to me he seems exceedingly credulous the leader of a party ought to be the dupe of no one do you know him asked the emigrant coolly no she answered with a contemptuous glance at him but i thought i knew him oh mademoiselle he is a shrewd one and no mistake said the captain shaking his head and giving to the word he used malin by an eloquent gesture the peculiar shade of meaning which it then possessed and has since lost these old families sometimes send out vigorous offshoots they come over here from a country where the ci-devants so they say have by no means an easy time of it the men are like meddlers you know they ripen best on straw if the fellow has a head on his shoulders he can lead us a dance for a long while yet he thoroughly understood how to oppose his irregular troops to our free companies and so paralyze the efforts of the government for every royalist village that is burnt he burns too for the republicans he has spread his operations over a vast tract of country and in that way he compels us to bring a considerable number of troops into the field and that at a time when we have none to spare oh he understands his business he is murdering his own country said gerard interrupting the captain with his powerful voice but if his death is to deliver the country said the young gentleman shoot him down and be quick about it then he tried to fathom mademoiselle de vernoy's mind with a glance and of the dramatic vivacity of the mute scene that passed between them and its subtle swiftness words can give but a very imperfect idea danger makes people interesting the vilest criminal excites some measure of pity when it comes to be a question of his death so mademoiselle de vernoy being by this time quite certain that the lover who had scorned her was the formidable rebel leader did not seek to reassure herself on this head by keeping him on the rack she had quite a different curiosity to satisfy she preferred to trust or to doubt him as her passion dictated and set herself to play with edged tools she indicated the soldiers to the young chieftain in a glance full of treacherous derision dangling the idea of his danger before him amusing herself with making him painfully aware that his life hung on a word which her lips seemed to be opening to pronounce she seemed like an american indian to be ready to detect the movement of any nerve in the face of an enemy bound to the stake flourishing her tomahawk with a certain grace enjoying a revenge unstained by crime 
dealing out to him his punishment like a mistress who has not ceased to love if i had a son like yours madame she said to the visibly terrified stranger i should put on mourning for him on the day when i sent him forth into danger she received no reply again and again she turned her head towards the two soldiers and then looked sharply at madame de gois but she could not detect that there was any secret signal passing between the lady and the gars such as could assure her of an intimacy which she suspected and yet wished not to credit a woman likes so much to maintain the suspense of a life-and-death struggle when a word from her will decide the issue the young general bore the torture which mademoiselle de verneuil inflicted upon him without flinching and with smiling serenity the expression of his face and his bearing altogether showed that he was a man utterly unaffected by the perils he underwent and now and then he seemed to tell her here is your opportunity for avenging your wounded vanity seize upon it i should be in despair if i had to resign the feeling of contempt which i have for you mademoiselle de verneuil began to scrutinize the chief from her position of vantage with a haughty insolence which was quite superficial for at the bottom of her heart she was admiring his tranquil courage glad as she was to make the discovery of the ancient name that her lover bore for all women love the privileges which a title confers she was still further delighted to confront him in his present position he was the champion of a cause ennobled by its misfortunes he was exerting every faculty of a powerful character in a struggle with a republic that had been so many a time victorious she saw him now face to face with imminent danger displaying the dauntless valor that has such a powerful effect on women's hearts over and over again she put him through the ordeal perhaps in obedience to an instinct which leads womankind to play with a victim as a cat plays with the mouse that she has caught what law is your authority for putting shoe-ones to death she asked of captain merle the law of the fourteenth of last fructidor the revolted departments are put outside the civil jurisdiction and court-martials are established instead replied the republican to what cause do i owe the honor of your scrutiny of me she inquired of the young chief who was watching her attentively to a feeling which a gentleman hardly knows how to express in speaking to a woman whatever she may be said the marquis of montauran in a low voice as he leant over towards her then he went on aloud we must needs live in such times as these to see girls in your station do the office of the executioner and improve upon him in their deft way of playing with the axe her eyes were set in a stare on montauran then in her exultation at receiving this insult from a man whose life lay between her hands as he spoke 
she whispered in his ear with gentle malice as she laughed your head is so wrong that the executioners will none of it i shall keep it for my own the bewildered marquis in his turn gazed at this unaccountable girl for a moment the love in her had prevailed over everything else even over the most scathing insults and her revenge had taken the form of pardoning an offence which women never forgive the expression of his eyes grew less cold and hard a touch of melancholy stole over his features his passion had a stronger hold upon him than he had recognized these faint tokens of the reconciliation she looked for satisfied mademoiselle de verneuil she looked tenderly at the chief a smile she gave him seemed a caress then she lay back in the coach unwilling to endanger the future in the drama of her happiness and in full belief that that smile of hers had once more tightened the knot that bound them she was so beautiful she knew so well how to clear away all obstacles in love's course she was so thoroughly accustomed to take all things as a pastime to live as chance determined she had such a love of the unforeseen and of the storms of life end of section eleven